What do Jonathan Edwards and Augustine have in common? To answer that question, we're going to ask special guest Mike Vlock to join us, and we're going to talk about the new creation model and the spiritual vision model. Mike Vlock has a new book out, The New Creation Model, and we're going to talk about how he wrote it, what's in it, and what it means for the Christian life. Stay tuned. This is The Bible Sojourner, where we discuss issues related to the Bible, theology, and culture. I'm your host, Peter Gaiman, professor of Old Testament and Biblical Languages at Shepherd's Theological Seminary. Shalom and welcome. Thanks for joining. Welcome back to another episode of The Bible Sojourner, and I am pleased to welcome on the podcast for a second time Dr. Michael Vlock, my friend and colleague. Mike, thanks for coming on again. I'm glad to do it. It was fun last time, so I'm looking forward to talking with you again. Amen. Well, we are at it again. Uh, well, rather, you're at it again. Uh, you've been writing a lot, and we have a new book here, The New Creation Model, and it's it's a li- little bit beefier than the last one. I think the last one clocked in around 100, 120. And this one's uh, around 400 pages. So I'm excited to talk about it. I think uh, there's a lot of material here that people need to be talking about. And I know just from following some of the social media posts that have been out there, people are really interested in this. And so I guess I just want to ask you, uh, looking at this book, what inspired you to write it? Uh, like, what's, what's it about? Well, I would say that I've been teaching on these models, new creation model and spiritual vision model for probably like the last 15 years. So actually where it started is in my theology four class when I was teaching at the master's seminary on uh, the issues of uh, the church and end times in Israel and those things. I have a section on, you know, Bible interpretation principles, but I also have had a section that was devoted on the first day towards making sure that we have a worldview, a biblical worldview that detects all that God is trying to accomplish. And so I was actually teaching on new creation model first day of those classes, basically challenging people to understand, yes, God's working with us as individuals. He's working with spiritual blessings and redemption from sin, all those incredibly important things. But he was also moving in history with kingdom and creational purposes. And I found the students found it to be very helpful and you know, I would have a PowerPoint slide and sometimes they would ask, hey, can I use that in my churches? And so eventually I started thinking, you know, it might be good to take this beyond the classroom, just right. day one of a Theo 4 class and, and, to, and to put it into book form. Mm-hmm. Now, originally I thought it was going to be like a 75 page booklet sort of thing. And that it just it just blossomed into like over four, over 400 pages. So but basically that that's where it came from was the uh, the positive response in the classes on teaching on this issue. And I said, hey, I want you know, I want to get this out for the public. So this has been a almost a lifelong, I mean, like you said, you've been teaching this for a while and you've been working on the book for a while, research-wise and writing. How long have you been working at actually writing this book? Yeah, I would say to some degree, you know, I, I actually have blog posts, I think, going back to 2011. Wow. So, and sometimes books of mine might actually start as as blog post. Right. So, I mean, there's one sense in which it's probably been, you know, maybe even a dozen years where it's been in some some development. And I would say as far as like seriously, like, okay, this is going to become a book probably in the last seven years. Wow, that's fantastic. And I'm really excited. I've read parts of it. It just came out. I mean, this is hot off the press. And so I'm really excited for, you know, the reception that's, that's going to be out there and the discussion that'll come from this. So I'm sure some people are wondering, 
How does this book differ from some of the other things you've written? Obviously, you came out with a hermeneutics book recently. You've written on New Testament use of the old, all these different categories. So maybe compare it with maybe your biblical theology and how does this differ? Yeah. Well, he will reign forever is uh, is a biblical theology of the kingdom of God. So that that's basically tracing all the Bible passages dealing with the kingdom of God, you know, from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Um, anything concerning the nature and timing of the kingdom. So it's it's dealing with a lot of Bible text on the issue of the kingdom, both Old and New Testament. So technically, that's that's a biblical theology. Mm-hmm. My has the church replaced Israel is largely a people of God book. Mm. So dealing with the issue of Israel's role, the church's role, even to some degree nations uh, in the future. Um, Dispensational hermeneutics, which was my most recent book, is uh, dealing with the issue of how we as dispensationalists, uh, what hermeneutical principles we think are strategic for understanding the Bible storyline. Um, the the old and the new. The, my book on New Testament use uh, of the old was largely a hermeneutics book. Mm-hmm. This book is largely. It, it, there's a sense in which it's even deeper. It, it, it deals with assumptions and pre understandings, mm-hmm. um, in the sense of making sure that as we go to Scripture, that we're not having um, a wrong understanding of what God's trying to do or a limited understanding. So uh, in other words, I, I think it's possible for us to go into scripture with certain pre-understandings and assumptions about how things are supposed to work. Right. And I think sometimes that may limit us in what God is doing. Hmm. So, so really this book is, uh, it, it, I, I believe that this new creation model stems from scripture. It's, it's not a grid put on scripture. But I think when, when you're open to all that God is doing, you'll see that he is involved at the individual level. And he is involved with spiritual issues, but he's also involved with creational kingdom issues nations physical matters the earth land and then you even get into issues with eternity and those sorts of things so so largely it's 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 an attempt to make sure that we're open to all of what scripture is saying concerning god's purposes wow that's that's really helpful and i think a lot of people who are interested in these kinds of discussions will be really really excited to kind of consider that i guess on on that note uh is this the kind of book that you could give grandmother for Christmas or like who, who'd you write the book for? Like what, what kind of audience are you trying to target? Well, I would say, I'd say the audience would be anybody who's interested in understanding the Bible. I mean, technically if you're looking for kind of a technical designation, I would say high school and above, I would say for those that are to use the the terminology interested layperson um, would definitely be able to access the book and, and find it readable. Obviously those that are like uh, in Bible college, seminary, pastors. And of course, I think academics would would benefit from it as well. I do think that particularly the first, uh, there's five parts to the book. The first three, I think, are are very easy to understand. It is true when I get to the last two sections, I deal with millennial views and theological systems and how they relate to the model. So that, I I guess that steps it up a little bit. But I, I think this book is accessible for anybody who wants to understand what God is doing and what his purposes are. Yeah. I always tell people that if you're interested in something, you're going to find a way to understand it. So, so I do think that, and we don't want to put things too low where there's nothing concrete being discussed, obviously. So I I really appreciate that. And having read the first part of the book, I I also think that, you know, who you wrote it for the interested layperson, the, those who, you know, have the ability to pursue these things. I think that that's going to work well for those, for those people. So I guess people are wondering though, we've talked a little bit around it. Uh, you know, they want to actually know 
what is the new creation model? You said it's derived from scripture. It's not a paradigm that's to be imposed upon scripture. So talk a little bit about that. That's one of the crucial points of the book. What exactly do you mean when you talk about the new creation model? Yeah, so what we're dealing with in a sense are we're emphasizing new creation model, but we're, we're dealing with two models. Okay. We're dealing with new creation model, spiritual vision model. I want to give credit where credit's due. The language for these models uh, comes from a 1999 book on basically a three views of the millennium book where Craig Blazing was discussing these models as he was talking about uh, premillennialism and his interactions with, with, with others. So, so what we're dealing with are two models which are like they're not necessarily systems, but they're they're different paradigms or perspectives or almost even worldviews for how we're viewing God's purposes from the beginning. So in a nutshell, these models are dealing with God, with creation realities stemming from Genesis 1 to 2 and the new creation realities, particularly dealing with the future kingdom of God, the millennium, the eternal state, and really the nature of eternal life. So there's a sense in which these models are very much Genesis 1 and 2, and then Revelation really 20 to 22. And so basically, how do we view God's purposes? And so there is what is called a spiritual vision model, where uh, the, the emphasis is on the individual and the spiritual when it comes to God's purposes. And so, uh, spirit, and with the spiritual vision model, there can be somewhat of a, what we call a cosmic dualism, where there's a there's a, a very high value distinction made between the spiritual and the material where the spiritual is viewed as good and mostly what God's concerned about. And then material things are viewed as much lesser. Hmm. And so uh, those that will have a spiritual vision model oftentimes will emphasize the individual and the spiritual and spiritual blessings, which we agree those things are important. <laughs> Obviously the first thing anybody should be interested in is a right relationship with God as an individual and forgiveness of sins that's, that's found with Christ and how they live their Christian life. And so, but where the new creation model comes in is it affirms the importance of the individual and the spiritual, but it also says, Hey, God's also working out creational purposes in Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Really the first thing God tells man is it's a blessing and a mandate, but he tells Adam is representative mankind you know, you need to rule and subdue the earth and fill it for my glory. So really the first thing spoken to man is that, hey, God's like, I've, I've made this creation and it's beautiful and it's it, it has all these things involved with it and all these creatures. I want you to rule and subdue it. So really what the new creation model is, is it, it's a perspective that's taking very seriously Genesis 1 to 2. God's creation purposes, his kingdom purposes over creation, how that unfolds in history. And it's very interested in the nature of eternal life. And so with the spiritual vision model, oftentimes there's a, the, the eternal life has been viewed mostly as a spiritual existence in a spiritual realm, which is very common in the culture. Um, a new creation model is emphasizing that, there, that eternal life is resurrected, embodied existence on a restored earth, which God is at the center of that. And our relationship with him is most important, but God is also deemed that he wants us to have social and cultural interactions with each other. So uh, there, there's passages in the Bible that are going to talk about the, the importance of farms and houses and relationships and those kinds of things. So in, in a nutshell, these models are dealing with creation and new creation realities. Spiritual vision model focuses on the spiritual and the individual. The new creation model is saying, let's get the spiritual and the individual right, but let's also look at the at the full scope of what God is trying to accomplish 
Oh, that's so helpful. And I know we're going to talk a little bit about this more later, but just by way of example, because I'm sure some people are are wondering, well, how would that look in theological systems or eschatological understandings? Could you maybe give an example of how, what that might look like in, in everyday belief, whether like the spiritual vision mo- model, how that might be demonstrated versus the new creation model? Yeah, like I would say a, a lot of people... I think I think like a lot of Christians know the Bible teaches resurrection of the body, mm-hmm. but I still think they mostly think that that our eternity is is after we die, our soul goes and lives in heaven forever. Mm-hmm. And so they may, if you ask them, do you believe in resurrection of the body? They would say yes, but they still think it's mostly a spiritual existence in a spiritual realm. Right. And so, you know, even though they use like Thomas Aquinas, for example, like he he believed in resurrection of the body. But he believed that our existence was beyond the universe in a purely spiritual, light-filled realm. So that would be an example. And, and just even to kind of use like a common example, like it's, it's uh, you know, oftentimes at, at, at funerals when a believer dies, that, that person is presented as, reached, as having reached their perfect state. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you'll even hear things like, if that person could come back to earth, there's no way that they would because, you know, and someday we're going to join them forever. Right, yeah. When now again, I want to affirm that the intermediate heaven and being with Jesus is a great thing Absolutely, for those of that because yeah. their soul goes there. So we're affirming yeah. that. But the Bible talks about Jesus and the saints. Jesus is going to return to earth and reign on the earth, and both the, the his kingdom and then the eternal state is are going to be earthly. And really, in the end, all of us who are believers are living on a restored, renewed earth with physical bodies, with physical yeah. bodies, and actually interacting with each other. Mm-hmm. I, and I, I think another thing would be: I think oftentimes people think that in eternity that God wants it to be that we don't even know who other people are and we don't even talk to anybody else because we're so focused on uh, looking at God. And again, the new creation model is under uh, understanding that relationship and presence of God is the most important part <laughs> of eternity. But God has also deemed it and wanted it to be the such that we interact with other believers and that yeah. we, you know, we, there's meals and fellowship and, and, and those, those sorts of things. So I think what's going to end up being the case is, uh, most Christians are going to have somewhat of a mixture between spiritual vision model ideas and new creation model ideas. And really what this book is calling for is I think if um, I, th- I think it can help us to perhaps try to detect areas where we may have unbiblical thinking when it comes to God's purposes. Oh, that's super helpful. And that actually brings up a follow follow up question is it doesn't seem at least knowing myself and knowing where I've come from, as well as looking at other theologians, it doesn't seem like these are necessarily, you're either in one camp or the other. There seems to be a mixed bag of sorts. Is that correct? Yes. Now, there's a sense in which uh, you could almost put it on a scale of one to 10, Mm -hmm. where, so the short answer is going to be yes. Oftentimes what you get is a mixture of spiritual vision model and new creation model. So if you were to like label spiritual vision, a full spiritual vision model is a one and a full new creation model is a 10. It would be like the Eastern religions, like Hinduism and Buddhism, like they would be a one. You know, when it comes to like Plato and philosophies coming from Plato, that would be kind of like a two on the spiritual vision model. So I I think what's usually going to be the case is you're going to see people between like a three and an eight. Sure. There's going to be part spiritual vision model, part new creation model. And I think that's often true for individuals. It's also true for theological systems or or, or even... Uh, denominations. Now, is it uh, that that's helpful to define it that way with the with the spectrum one to ten? So I, I'm sure some people would would be wondering, 
you know, if, if they're trying to assess their system and they believe the Bible is teaching a new creation model, does that mean that they, that they need to be at a 10? Is that, is that the ideal? Like what you're arguing for is that the Bible teaches a 10 and we should be endeavoring to be there. But a lot of times in practice, we're seven, eight, nine yeah. kind of idea. Yeah. So I think what probably would, or hopefully would be the case is, uh, because obviously understanding these things takes time. Right. I mean, my understanding of this has developed over years. Mm-hmm. So I think what's usually going to be the case is as, as people look into this more and they're open, opening their eyes to the full uh, things that God is doing, they might slide down the scale. Maybe somebody who's a three might become a five. Somebody who's a six might be, become an eight. And I even, I even document or I even show in my book that it, when it does come to theological systems, I think all of them have trended towards the new creation model. Mm. So I, I, I don't know if we're going to get, when we get to talking about millennial views and theology, I mean, there's, there's roughly about a half dozen that I talk about. Oh, yeah. And I think all of them have been trending new creation model, like in the last 50 years yeah. or so. No, that'll be, that'll be really good to talk about. And we'll, we'll definitely need to do that. Uh, but before we get there, I know some people want to, cause you, you made, you made a reference to, to Plato and, and some of this uh, more philosophical bent that had, had influence in the early church. And I know you talk about this in the book, but maybe you could give us just a little snapshot of this uh, with how it relates to the spiritual vision model. So if the spiritual vision model is putting this emphasis on the spiritual existence, the individual existence uh, is. We would obviously say that that wasn't the original intent in God's creation. And over time, you know, this this model developed somehow. How do we kind of trace that? Like, where, where does it come from? Uh, in the church, particularly, well, or just yeah, in general? I guess yeah. in, I guess it's got to start in general first. So maybe yeah. you talk a little bit beginning. about it. Yeah. Yeah. Like I would say Hinduism is an ancient religion. Like I said, that, that's a one. I mean, that's a full-blown spiritual, sure, yeah. spiritual vision model. So there's a sense in which that's always existed. I think when, it, when you get to, you know, 5th century BC, when you start to get to Plato, I think uh, there's a wide consensus that uh, the strong dualism that Plato made between the material and the spiritual, heavily emphasizing the spiritual against the material, that that launched a domino effect. And so Plato, philosophies coming from him, you know, eventually you'll get a, a religious form of, of Platonism with Neoplatonism. Um, so w- what's going to end up happening is like, I believe, I believe the Bible and the era of the Bible is new creation model. And then I believe that the, basically the church of the first 200 years is largely new creation model. But what ends up happening is uh, I, I think there's going to be certain individuals like uh, Origen, uh, who, you know, as you, as you get the end of the 100s into the 200s, you're, he's going to be really known for an allegorizing hermeneutic. And allegorization of scripture is very closely linked with the spiritual vision model. So if you've ever been in a hermeneutics or Bible interpretation class, you, you know that there ends up being this battle that starts pretty early in the church between those who are taking the Bible literally and those who want to spiritualize right. it and, and, and allegorize it. So Origen ends up being significant with his allegorizing hermeneutic. He became very negative towards the idea that Jesus's messianic kingdom would be an earthly kingdom. He started spiritualizing a lot of the Old Testament prophetic passages, which talks about tangible realities being important in God's purposes. So I think origin ends up being significant. I, th- I think when you have the Constantinian merger of church and state under Constantine in, in the early 300s, you end up having Eusebius, um, who ends up being very negative towards the idea of like an earthly kingdom of the Messiah. He starts to spiritualize a lot of things. 
I think when you get to Augustine, you know, who's living, uh, he's doing his thing in the end of the 300s into the early 400s. Um, that's where I think you're going to really have a strong move towards towards spiritual vision model. And then I just want to say that when, once you get past Augustine, I mean, once you get into the 400s, the church really lurches hard towards a spiritual vision model. And then I think you really, when you get to like Thomas Aquinas in the 1200s, he ends up almost having the most, I guess, Christian form of the spiritual vision model without going into heresy. As I said before, you can't be a Christian and adopt a full spiritual vision model because you deny resurrection of the body and that Christ came in flesh and that the creation is good to some degree. But once you get to Aquinas, his uh, he emphasizes the rational and the spiritual so much that he makes eternity purely a spiritual existence in a realm of light where people have no interactions with each other. And it's, it's, it's a very strong spiritual vision model. Now, what's going to happen after that is, uh, so I, I'm saying like it starts in the, in, the, in the 200s to some degree, picks up steam with Augustine as you get to around 400. And then I think you have like a thousand strong years of spiritual vision model in the church. I do think when you get to the Protestant Reformation, there's starting to be a rejection of allegorical interpretation, not fully, but in principle that there is. And so even though the Reformation is going to be largely dealing with what the church is and uh, for sure salvation and justification and those areas which are you know essential to being saved, that's where the emphasis is going to be. But it, the Reformation is also a hermeneutical Reformation where it's more get back to the Bible, quit allegorizing things. And I think once you should get to start to get to the second, the, the third generation after the initial reformers, that you're going to see some real progress, uh, particularly with some of the English theologians and the Puritans towards taking the Old Testament more literally. And then there ends up being a little bit of a pendulum swing back towards considering the creation model. So obviously related to this issue is eschatology. And when we think about the millennial views, you have the pre-mill, post-mill, all-mill camps. Uh, and a lot of people wonder, okay, if usually that's how people talk about eschatology. But one of the things I love about this book is that it it really kind of encourages us to think almost in new terms or new definitions into evaluating these views through this framework. So maybe you could give us kind of a brief summary of how the pre-mill, post-mill, all-mill camps loosely are evaluated using the new creation model or the spiritual vision model. Yeah, it is very interesting evaluating these millennial views through the models, the new creation spiritual vision model. So for example, to take premillennialism, it's new creation model with both the millennial kingdom of Jesus and the eternal state, which means it believes that Jesus's millennial kingdom is on earth. It, of course, you have to be saved to be a part of it and there's spiritual blessings associated with it, but it's an earthly kingdom. And premillennialism also believes that the eternal state the eternal kingdom is an earthly kingdom on a restored earth. So both have social, cultural, political interactions. There's, there's, there's eating and celebrations and you know each other. So I, I would say premillennialism uh, is consistently new creation model with both. Hmm. Now, when you get to amillennialism, the, the answer is a little bit complicated. But to take Thomas Aquinas, for example, like he spiritualized both Jesus's millennial kingdom and the coming eternal kingdom. Hmm. And so, like, so consistent with amillennialism, he viewed Jesus' kingdom as a spiritual kingdom in this age. And then he viewed the eternal kingdom as existing apart from the universe in a light realm, where all one did was contemplate God and you didn't interact with anybody else. Wow. And so, uh, now there's going to be other uh, amillennialists, uh, sometimes they're called earthy amillennialists, by actual, uh, some amillennialists themselves who've used that term. 
Now, obviously, all, all, all millennialists are going to spiritualize Jesus' kingdom to be primarily a spiritual kingdom in this age, not involving the earth. And so, but in the future, some believe that there will be an earthly eternal state yeah. and that will actually exist uh, on a new earth with social social and cultural interactions. Hmm. So there's differences of opinion, you know, when it comes to amillennialism. And so I would say most amillennialists today affirm a future tangible new earth. Now, if they spiritualize the millennium. To interrupt at that point, and sorry for interrupting, but I, I, I'm going back to something you said earlier where you mentioned that there seems to be a trend moving toward new creation model within yeah. these models. Yeah. And so is that kind of what you're talking about? Like who... Is, is there an individual that's kind of been pushing amillennialism that way? Or has it just been kind of like a cultural thing? How does that... There have been amillennialists before this individual I'm about to talk about who's affirmed a, a, a tangible new earth. But I would say Anthony Hokema in, in the late 70s, you know, early 80s um, with his book, The Bible in the Future, Created in His Image. He really uh, argued strongly and persuasively, in my opinion, for a, a tangible new earth with cultural, cultural, social, political interactions among the redeemed. Now, we still spiritualize Jesus's millennial right. kingdom, but uh, he was so clear and straightforward on the, on the significance of a new creation model, understanding the eternal state, that in my opinion, I do think amillennialism has, has gone more towards that direction. Hmm. So now I actually think he as an individual was more new creation model than your average amillennialist in history by quite a bit. And mm. I would even say more than even most amillennialists today. Wow. But he was significant. I also think Vern Poitras, I document that in my book. He Vern Poitras gives credit to dispensationalists and premillennialists saying, hey, you know, he'll say they have been taking promises about the earth literally. We need to start doing more of that. Yeah. So I, I would say that Anthony Hokema and Vern Poitras have been pretty significant, I think, in a, in a trend with amillennialism more towards a new creation model. Hmm, that's super helpful. So what about postmillennialism then? So you have kind of, it seems if I'm understanding it correctly, you have premillennialism and amillennialism being different in, uh, but like you said, amillennialism is trending more toward new creation model these days, perhaps. But where does postmill fit in that? Post mills complicated too, <laughs> um, but when it comes to because you know, as we're evaluating these millennial views, we're we're focusing on Jesus's messianic millennial kingdom and then the eternal kingdom. That's mostly where these models are going. So when it comes to post millennialism, we can call them new creation model when it comes to Jesus's millennial kingdom, because they believe uh, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be saved eventually through Christ's kingdom, which they believe is occurring, you know, before this before he comes again. And they believe that that kingdom, in addition to saving a lot of people, is actually going to transform the cultural and societal realms. And so they're actually very uh, literal with a lot of uh, passages that talk about physical things. So I would say postmillennialism is new creation model on Jesus's millennial kingdom. Hmm. Now, the where they differ with premillennialism, premillennialism believes you actually have to have Jesus on the earth. I call it boots on the ground, right. <laughs> where you actually right. have to have Jesus physically present to remove the evil structures and set up his, his kingdom where the saints are reigning. Uh, postmillennialism believes that's, that can occur while Jesus is still in heaven. Hmm. So... Now, when it comes to the eternal state, I'm going to admit of all the areas of the book, that was the hardest to try to figure out because, uh, and maybe I just need to do more study, but it, 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 uh, because post-millennialists are playing a long game. I mean, some of right. them even think we're in the early stages of church history Yeah, and, uh, they don't oftentimes don't say a lot about the eternal state. Right. So what I have found is some of the, uh, Puritan post-millennialists were very sp spiritual vision model about eternity. Interesting. 
they basically viewed the eternal state as purely an existence in heaven and not involving the earth. So I actually have some quotes of that. Say this eternity is not on the earth. You're going to have others who will look at like Revelation 21 and 22, which is a eternity section, yeah. and say, "Oh, that's just, that's basically referring figuratively to our salvation," hmm. and they don't view it as like a literal future thing. And I think that's a very spiritual vision model. Hmm. So with those first two, those are very spiritual vision model to say eternity is going to be purely in heaven, or to take the most specific passage about the eternal state and make it figurative for salvation in the present. Those are spiritual vision model ideas. But I've also found post-millennialists who, who affirm that the eternal state is going to be tangible and it's going to involve the earth. So at this point, I found like three different views sure. on that. So it's a little bit more, it's a little bit more complicated. Yeah. But I think the key thing is you can look at premillennialism and its forms and post-millennialism and amillennialism in their forms and evaluate their views on the millennium and the eternal state with the two models. Hmm. That's that's super helpful. So it would be correct to summarize. I don't want to be misrepresenting this here, but you have pre-mill and post-mill viewpoints, uh, largely similar with regard to the nature or essence yes. of the kingdom, yes. just difference timing-wise. Yeah, similar on the nature, but different on the timing. Exactly. And that okay. timing issue is a big deal. Oh, yeah. It's a very oh, yeah. big deal. And I strongly disagree with the idea that the world's going to be that this world can be rooted out of all of its evil and transform without Christ on the earth. But yes, on the issue of Jesus' millennial kingdom uh, involving all dimensions of creation, pre-mill and post-mill agree. Okay, that's that's helpful. And then I think uh, if I if I remember correctly, post-mill and all-mill would be more in agreement with regard to the spiritual nature of the kingdom now, like with regard to the kingdom is happening now in in its well, I guess there might be a difference as to the fullness of it, but they would both agree that the kingdom is now. And premill is saying, well, that's going to happen yeah. later, right? So yeah, so so premillennialism is holds to futurism yep. when it comes to a future day of the Lord, a future, a future kingdom of Christ, a future millennium. Postmillennialism and amillennialism are seeing it as now. They have different results because amillennialism doesn't believe this world can be transformed before Jesus comes again. Postmillennialism does. Now, do you think this is kind of a random question, I suppose, but do you think that that may be in in current day, it seems like post-millennialism is having a bit of a revival. Do you think that this is kind of playing into that in any case where people kind of recognize the inconsistency of a spiritual vision model, even perhaps, you know, without intending to, some of these amillennialist authors have been pushing people toward a more new creation mm-hmm. model. Do you right. think that that's playing into this at all? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I think we're seeing, I mean, we can get in debates about how Christian the United States has been or whatever, but there's obviously there's been a lot of linkage with Christian values and morality standards. And so we've really seen that decaying at a rapid rate on gender issues, on marriage issues. And so we're, we're seeing that, you know, in, in the realm of society and culture and politics in those areas that hit us hard every day, that, um, there's some really unbiblical philosophies that seem to be winning the day. And, you know, Christians want righteousness. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, of course that gets into, in, into the area of what is the church's responsibility right. concerning society, political culture. But to answer your question, I, I do think that the, the, the cultural environment that we are is having some people think like, Hey, of course, salvation is uh, from sin and redemption is, is super important and what a person should focus on uh, and a godly living. But there's but we also need to care about culture and society yeah, and there's the political impact. realms. Yeah. 
exactly. Oh, that's that's helpful. Uh, one question that comes up because you know I think we all want to pigeonhole people, and I, I one of the things that I appreciate about your book is trying to trying to be very uh, specific in diving into even exceptions and. A lot of people might think, okay, if you're pre-mill, post-mill, all-mill, you would fall into these categories neatly, but we've already been talking about how that's not exactly the case. And could you maybe talk about how there have been even examples of premillennialists who have bordered on uh, the spiritual vision model? And so so just because, you know, ideally this would be the case, there, there have been some exceptions, and maybe you could talk about why that is. Yeah. As a matter of fact, when I talk about premillennialism, I end up talking about historic premillennialism, Um Laddian historic premillennialism, non-George Laddian historic premillennialism, dispensational premillennialism. And so it's true within premillennialism, you're going to have some who have spiritual vision model elements. For example, uh, John Nelson Darby uh, and, and some within the classical tradition when they had their uh, two peoples of God with two different destinies. I, I was looking hard at one individual who did his uh, dissertation on the issue of Darby and the rapture and did a lot of research on that. And he, and he concluded that Darby believed that once the rapture took place, that the church would never come back to earth. Wow. Like your normal dispensationalist views the rapture as an evacuation so the church doesn't have to go through the day of the Lord. But then the church returns to rule, to reign with Christ on the earth in a very tangible matter. So the evacuation is just for a short period of time. and Then there's a reign on the earth. And so you did have some early dispensationalists that emphasize, you know, that the church is a heavenly people. It shouldn't be involved with culture, politics, society, and therefore its ultimate destiny was heaven forever. Even though Israel and the nations would be on the earth, the church would be forever in heaven. And I identify that as a spiritual vision model idea. Hmm. So, so again, people can have mix, a mix of new creation model, spiritual vision model. I would say overall Darby was more new creation model because he, he believed in, sure. in literal Israel and physical blessings for Israel and nations and tangible things. But he was spiritual vision model on the church. Another one, George Ladd, um, very popular historic premillennialist. Now, he, I want to be clear, he believed in a literal future earthly kingdom of Christ and millennium. And then he believed in a literal eternal state. But it, when it comes to his hermeneutics, he calls for the reinterpretation and radical reinterpretation of the Old Testament. And he'll even say, hey, there are physical blessings to Israel that can be spiritualized to the church. Like those are spiritual vision model moves. And I should say this is even though the new creation model um, is is emphasizing material and national and corporate entities. It's not anti-spiritual realities, but it is against the spiritualization of things God did not intend to be spiritualized. So when people spiritualize Israel to just a spiritual community, uh, they, if they spiritualize physical blessings or land or those kinds of things, that's a spiritual vision model move. So at, at points, Lad and those in the, the Laddian historical pre-mill oftentimes will spiritualize Old Testament prophecies and blessings about Israel. And that's a spiritual vision model move. Oh, that's, that's helpful. And I think surprising for a lot of people because, well, I know a lot of non-dispensationalists will often accuse dispensationalists of simply following the footsteps of Darby. But when you told me that originally, I think we were driving somewhere in the car and you told me that Darby believed that. I just remember thinking to myself, that is crazy. I, I just couldn't believe that. But it's just a good reminder that you know, we're, we're all uh, being influenced and biased in certain ways with where, where we're coming from. And so, yeah, I think it's a good reminder that dispensationalism as a system, although, you know, systematized by Darby in many ways, uh, you know, the dispensationalist today is going to look quite a bit different. I think one of the strengths of dispensationalism is it refines itself when it needs to. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's uh, 
I mean, I, I think there's room for confessions and I think they're significant and we want to learn from godly men of the past. And but dispensationalism doesn't have a confession where we must rally around something stated 150 years ago, no matter what. Right. <laughs> sort of thing. Right. And so I, I think I think dispensationalists have have a tradition of seeing some things that may not be quite right and then making corrections. Yeah. Well, in your book, you have a section where you deal with premillennialism and how it functioned as an apologetic in the early church to a certain degree uh, against Gnosticism and other nascent ideas like that. Can you talk just a little bit about that? Yeah, premillennialism was actually a part of the defense of the Christian faith in the early church, particularly with Gnosticism, second century AD, heresy. And then Irenaeus, who was a champion against Gnosticism, with his, he used premillennialism as a weapon against Gnosticism, which is a very spiritual vision model. And just uh, just to clarify, I guess I should have defined Gnosticism. Yeah. Can you, can no, you I can help too, us? Yeah. Yeah. So what you get with Gnosticism is a very strong spiritual vision model. You get, cos- you get a cosmic dualism where matter is viewed as bad and needs to be done away with. And this, only the spiritual is good and only a spiritual existence forever is good. You get a theistic dualism between the bad creator God who does physical things versus the spirit God. Uh, and then you actually have an anthropological dualism with Gnosticism, where the physical part of a person is not good and has to be escaped, and the, only the spiritual is good. So that was a direct spiritual vision model attack on resurrection of the body, the goodness of God's creation. And so I document this pretty well, and I, I use a lot of sources on this, that, that I, Irenaeus emphasized premillennialism to fight the spiritual vision model view of, of Gnosticism. And he, and he emphasized that that Genesis 1 to 2 and the creation there, that is very good. And when Jesus comes again, he's going to restore all of creation. And so he, Irenaeus has a lot of statements about there's going to be food and agriculture. And he was really big on when it came to our destiny as believers. He really emphasized Matthew 19, 28 and 29, where Jesus says, hey, for those who have followed me in the regeneration, which is the Greek term, polingonesia, or talks about like the regeneration of the cosmos. Mm. Jesus talks about he's going to sit on his throne. He talks about the apostles ruling over restored tribes of Israel. And then he says, and for all who followed me, you're going to get relate. If you've given up relationships or farms or houses, you're going to get it back multiplied. And so Irenaeus was a very, I'm not saying he was perfectly new creation sure. model, but when it, when it came to defending Christianity against heretical over-spiritualized idea, he, he was, he was a champion. Wow. Now, you don't just talk about premillennialism in the book, obviously. Uh, as we've talked about, you talk about the consistency of post-mill and on-mill uh, systems. So with regard to these models, um, can you kind of highlight how there's perhaps some inconsistency? And you kind of already touched a little bit on this, but maybe you can just rehash it a little bit. With postmillennialism in particular, there seems to be a bit of a hybrid uh, and so could you just flesh that out again for us about how it's kind of inconsistent with its new creation application? Yeah, so I, w- I would say when they believe there's there's tangible aspects that Jesus's millennial kingdom does, it includes salvation of a lot of people, but also involves transformation of earth. That's obviously a new creation model idea. I do think they make a spiritual vision model move by placing the reign of the Messiah and the last Adam from heaven. So now, like I think the biblical paradigm in a more new creation model is that Adam was created to rule from and over the earth. Like Adam was supposed to rule and subdue the earth while he was on the earth. That's a good point. <laughs> and he was to rule over it. Like premillennialism gets that. Like with as Jesus fulfills the last Adam and the Messiah's role, 
he's ruling from and over the earth. So with post-millennialism, you get a kingdom that impacts the earth, but they spiritualize David's throne to heaven today. And so you have Jesus reigning from, from heaven over an earthly kingdom. Now with amillennialism, you don't get the from or the over either one of those right. Yeah. <laughs> you have Jesus at a Davidic throne in heaven ruling over a spiritual kingdom, which is way off track of the Bible storyline. Yeah. So in a sense, post-millennial, like, so if you look at it with the prepositions from and over, mm -hmm. Adam was supposed to rule from and over the earth, premillennialism believes that Jesus and the saints are going to rule from and over the earth. Amillennialism on the other perspective has Jesus does not reign from the earth or over the earth with his millennial kingdom. And then post-millennialism is somewhat of a mix. Jesus is reigning from heaven. They spiritualize David's throne, which is a spiritual vision model move. <laughs> David's throne is an earthly throne yeah. in Jerusalem when the Messiah comes again. So the, the, the mixture is you get a, a, a reign from heaven over earth. Well, that's just so helpful. Now, I know from private conversations with you, there have been a few shall we say surprises or perhaps, you know, some, some big ahas. And one of those has come from the post-millennialist Jonathan Edwards. And so I know people are going to find this really fascinating. Could you tell us just a little bit about your research into Edwards and just some of the surprising things that you found? Yeah, obviously love Jonathan Edwards. Uh, when, when it came to his, his view of Jesus's millennial kingdom, so he's post-millennial. So he believes, you know, that this, this age eventuates in a messianic millennial kingdom of Jesus that transforms the earth. So I, I would consider him new creation model on Jesus's millennial kingdom. And he actually believed in the salvation of, of, of Israel uh, at some point. And there's even some statements where it almost seems on the border of like a restoration of Israel sort of thing. So I, I would I would deem him as a new creation model when it comes to Jesus's uh, millennial kingdom. Now, it gets very interesting when you get to his view of the eternal kingdom, because he might even do outdo Aquinas really? <laughs> on the eternal kingdom. Yeah, like with, with Thomas Aquinas, like I said, he believed our, you know, the amillennialist Thomas Aquinas believed our existence was uh, in a light realm called the Empyrean heaven apart from the universe, where it was just static contemplation of God. But Aquinas did believe that the earth was kind of frozen in light. There'd be nothing living on it. But since God created it, you know, it, it would at least be there as kind of a trophy <laughs> to use. That's my words. <laughs> yeah. But kind of a kind of a trophy. So, but he did have the earth existing, even though nobody lived on it. And we hmm. would have nothing to do with it. Interesting with Jonathan Edwards is uh he he believed that when Christ returns, which would be after the millennium according to a post-millennial scenario. You know, that there would be a, a general judgment of the righteous and the unrighteous. And what would end up happening is there would be a second ascension of Jesus and he would take the saints with him, but they would go up to heaven again. Wow. And so part of the separation of the righteous from the wicked would be is Jesus and believers would leave to go to heaven where they would be forever. And then the earth would become hell. It would become a fireball. <laughs> and literally, and literally, so it would become the place of the torment of, of the unbelieving. So in that sense... I guess in one sense, it's tangible. So you could kind of call it a new creation model, but it's also a much ne more negative view of the earth right. than believing. I mean, new creation model saying God restores this earth. Yeah. We're actually living on this earth. He purifies it. And then it, 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 we're, we're living on the earth. So for him, this earth becomes hell. Hmm. Wow. And uh, yeah, I remember when you told me that first, first time I was just blown away and would I be corrected? Assuming you haven't found anybody else that has, has uh, you know, proposed that. He's the only one that I've, I I haven't gone digging into sure, others, yeah. and there there are definitely uh, 
those of his theological beliefs back then who had a had a negative view of the earth and so I, there were definitely others who did not believe the earth had any part of eternity but i i'd have to go look and see if there's any others who took that it becomes hell for the sure. believer yeah but yeah now on the note of of individuals that you found really interesting i know that you also enjoyed diving into augustine uh quite a bit and augustine is obviously one of the most famous characters in all of church history mm-hmm. And maybe could you kind of just walk us through maybe even his his own personal testimony? You know, uh, sounds weird to give us, but he seems to to kind of exemplify both of these characteristics at different points in his life, right? Yeah, yeah. He's Augustine's very complicated. As a matter of fact, a, a, a book that I referred to often uh, that studied Augustine, how he how he re, is how he relates to these two models, actually categorized an early Augustine versus a later Augustine. So Augustine, now we want to acknowledge his contributions in anthropology and some aspects of soteriology. So as I make these other statements, we're, we want to be balanced, that sort of thing. But, but he was, it, it's just well documented that he was, he was heavily influenced by spiritual vision model, Platonist, Neoplatonist thinking, um, was very, very spiritual in how he viewed God's purposes. As a matter of fact, there's was, there was a reformed writer that I referred to him in, in my writings who refers to him as a verticalist. And, and he referred to Augustine's verticalist eschatology, where basically eschatology was all, was all spiritual and soulish and the soul going to heaven. Hmm. And so the early Augustine was very, very spiritual vision model. Now, the later Augustine ends up being more tangible with a literal eternal, like the earth, like a new earth in eternity, um, which was different from the early Augustine. Now, Augustine, again, this is going to be controversial depending on your millennial sure. view, but I, I think Augustine's rightly viewed as the, as the father of amillennialism. And so, I mean, there's others like Tychonius before him that I think are paving the way. And I think even what was going on with origin and allegorical hermeneutics and other things. So, it, it, so there's some things that are predating him, but he makes a big, I, there, I think spiritual vision model influences, including origin and others that were more uh, spiritual vision model minded affected uh, the turn towards amillennialism. So I, I argue in the book that amillennialism grew out of spiritual vision model soil. Hmm. So there's allegorical hermeneutics, there's Neoplatonism, there's the influence of Origen and Augustine and others. Um, one of the things I should have mentioned earlier is that the early church of the first 200 years is, is strongly premillennial. I think once you get towards the late 200s into the 300s, there's a, there's a shift towards like anti-premillennialism and then I think once you get to Augustine, as you get to the end of the 300s and the early 400s, you actually have an alternative view. So I think Augustine is significant by popularizing an alternative to the new creation model premillennialism that had been dominant before. Hmm. No, that's that's really helpful. And uh, having having not done a lot of studying in Augustine myself until recently, I was doing a lot of reading in his defense of infant baptism, obviously, and so. It's really interesting to hear all these different areas that he has impacted the church in so many ways. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's very strange, I guess, thinking that one person could have so, so much of an impact in so yeah. many areas. Yeah, he's almost like a gateway between like the patristic early church era and then the Middle mm-hmm. Ages. And so he's going to be influential in a lot of areas, some we'd consider good. But I think when it comes to his eschatological views, it was it, it, I do not think it was a positive development. I, I think he brought too much spiritual vision model <laughs> yeah. to Jesus's because basically what you're getting with amillennialism is a over spiritualized view of Jesus's kingdom. Both premillennialism and postmillennialism see Jesus's kingdom 
as involving not only salvation, but transforming everything, which I think is a more Christ honoring view yeah. of the dimensions and the holistic aspects of what Christ will do with his kingdom. Yeah. Amen. Well, you don't talk, obviously we've talked a lot about eschatology, but it's not just dealing with eschatology, obviously. So uh, you you deal also with just theological systems. So obviously we've talked about the millennial views and how, how they relate, but you also um, compare and contrast, you know, the two main systems of interpretation, covenant theology, dispensationalism, you even throw in uh, progressive covenant theology. So maybe let's take some time and talk about that. So holistically, putting the millennium aside, perhaps, um, just systematically, how do these systems uh, portray these these two models? Yeah, so just like with the millennial views, you can run them through the models. And the same is true with those, the, I, and I mostly deal with the evangelical, what we call it, sure. loosely speaking, Protestant evangelical systems. So dispensationalism, covenant theology, more recently progressive covenantalism. And I even include new, new Christian Zionism, which is kind of the new kid on the block when it comes to those. So so what, what I end up doing is, is you know, with dispensationalism, I mean, there's classical dispensationalism, you know, which you can combine traditional dispensationalism, but there's revised dispensationalism progressive. So um, first of all, my big picture statement is I think dispensationalism is the most new creation model system. I, I think it's detecting, because one of the strengths of dispensationalism is it looks at the Abrahamic, Davidic, and New Covenants, and not only does it see the spiritual blessings of those covenants, but it understands there's physical and tangible and land and national, international implications of the covenants. So I think one of the strengths of dispensationalism is it understands there's dozens of promises. And of course, justification through faith is an important part of what's going on. But there's also a lot of other things going on. Right. So I would deem dispensationalism as the most new creation model system. It detects those things. It takes the Old Testament literally, including prophetic passages. Um, it also understands there's a literal kingdom of Jesus, the millennium. There's a literal eternal state. Now, within that, I, I won't go into too much detail, but I, I would say classical dispensationalism is the least new creation model of the forms of dispensationalism. Because you did early on get that, hey, there's two peoples of God with two, not two ways of salvation, but two peoples of God with different destinies in the church and Old Testament saints who've died go to live in heaven forever. That's a spiritual vision model move. So I, I think when you get to revised and progressive dispensationalism, which is basically dispensationalism in the last 75 years, that's where I think you get the most consistent new creation model system for the reasons that I've laid out. So I, I do think dispensate, particularly revised and progressive, is very is very new creation model. Now, when it comes to covenant theology, that's that's a very complicated answer. I think what's important to understand about covenant theology is it's primarily a soteriology system. It's primarily about salvation and redemption and election justification, all, the, all those sorts of, of course, it's going to touch on ecclesiology in some other areas. And of course, Christ's sovereignty in all of that. So, right. so, and I think we need to be fair that not every system has to cover everything. Sure. Yeah. Like dispensationalism really doesn't have a lot of, it, it is evangelical and, refer, and and holds the reformation ideals of salvation, but it's not primarily right. specifics on some of the details of sure. regeneration and, and some of those things. So, I think with Coven I think the important thing to understand about covenant theology is it's primarily a soteriology system. If you look at, not to go into detail of, you know, the, the foundational covenants of covenant, the covenant of redemption, covenant of works, covenant of grace. I document in my book, those are primarily salvation of the elect covenants. They're not really dealing with creation and geopolitical nations. Right. And the day of the Lord, which is very creational. Yeah. <laughs> and an earthly kingdom of the Messiah. 
Now, it doesn't mean covenant theologians never talk about those things. I already talked about Anthony Hokema. He's a covenant theologian. He talks about literal new earth. So I think covenant theology is primarily soteriological. And then you will have certain individuals that will make statements about other things like Israel, nations, uh, the earth, and all those sorts of things. And I think sometimes their statements will be good. A lot of times I don't think they're good. We haven't talked about Israel yet, but I, it seems like covenant theology of the last hundred years is, is heavily supersessionist when it comes to spiritualizing Israel, seeing the church as the new true Israel in Christ. So there, there's traditional covenant theology, which is you know very supersessionist concerning Israel and the church, very spiritual vision model with Christ, earthly kingdom. Not a whole lot of talk about the new earth, although there is some, and I talk about that. I, I, I talk about that uh, in my book. Um, like I said, I, I think since Anthony Hokema and Vernon Poitras, you know, roughly in the last you know fifty years or so, that I think covenant theology has trended new creation model. Because I think more, as more people start to listen to them, I think they probably should listen to them even more, yeah. sort of thing. Um, that I, I think covenant theology is, is turning that way. So I, I identify covenant theology as, as kind of a, a mixture between the spiritual vision and new creation models. I think most covenantalists today believe there's going to be a tangible earth, a, a tangible new earth in eternity. They still spiritualize the millennium, which I don't. I, that's a spiritual, that's a spiritual vision model move. Um, so they have elements. Of course, they believe in resurrection of the body, the goodness of God's creation. I do think that because I still see within amillennialism that they want to typologize and spiritualize Old Testament prophetic passages, including those about Israel, that you're getting into spiritual vision model (laughs) territory there. So again, you know, Israel is an ethnic national territorial entity in the Bible, and that's true throughout the Old and New Testament. So, but with usually with covenant theology, you get Jesus is the true Israel. So everybody in him is a spiritual Israel. National Israel is not significant anymore. So that's a spiritual vision model move. And, I, and um, when it comes to covenant theology, there, there is no specific millennial view that's official. But you do get some covenant theologians who say it is very closely tied with amillennialism. I've even, there's even one uh, well-known covenant theologian who says, if you hold a covenant theology, you should be amillennial, hmm. <laughs> sort of thing. Wow. And so obviously the more covenant theology is amillennial, the more spiritual vision model sure. it's going to be. Uh, you do get some post-millennial covenant theologians, that, and they're a little more new creation model. Than the amillennial ones, and then you know I I, I talk about J.C. Ryle, and uh, some of some of the Scottish covenant theologians who were basically new creation model. Yeah, I mean you actually had some covenant the, theologians that were affirming uh, a future millennial kingdom, a restoration of Israel, and so there actually were there there have been covenant theologians who like from my opinion I'm obviously coming from a certain standpoint who had a very solid eschatology right. that I would consider them primarily new creation model hmm. so as you put it together it's a little bit harder I, I would say amillennialism of you know is uh, is trending new creation model but still has too many spiritual vision model hmm. no elements. that's that's helpful and with regard to Israel you've mentioned this a few times and I think it's helpful to to pick up on this because I know in conversations uh, that I've had with you in the past. You've told me that uh, even even like you were just mentioning, there have been covenant theologians that in the past affirmed a a future for Israel. They they affirmed an existence uh, and a a future for Israel, even bordering on restoration of Israel. Right. Yeah. And and it seems like in the in the most recent history that that's kind of gone to the wayside. And so, could you kind of? Talk and you do. You have a full chapter uh, and more in your book on this uh, with regard to the issue of Israel and the new creation model. So, can you talk a little bit about that? How does that relate to this? This specifically system? about Israel and the model, or covenant theology? And well, Israel? I guess Israel and the model specifically, and then how covenant theology um, is a little inconsistent on applying yeah. that. So, I believe 
Now, again, Israel is not the most important part of the Bible storyline. Right. Christ is. Yep. <laughs> but Israel is an important part of the Bible storyline. So I, I think we don't want to overemphasize Israel or underemphasize Israel. But Israel is a big part of the story. And Genesis 12, 2 to 3, you know, coming off of the table of nations in Genesis 10 to 11, you read Genesis 10 to 11, you know that the nations and their boundaries and those people matter. And then Genesis 12 comes along, Abraham, Abraham, a covenant, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make a great nation from you and in you, you'll bless all the families of the earth. And other texts will say nations of the earth. So from the, from the very beginning of the Abrahamic covenant, Israel is going as a nation is going to be a means uh, in various ways to bless the nations of the earth. So when you read the scripture, there's no indication that Israel is some type and shadow that's headed towards some kind of spiritual fulfillment. They're significant part of God's plans. And Israel is an ethnic national territorial envy that its most important contribution is the vehicle for the Messiah. And no blessings are going to happen for anybody apart from the Messiah. So it's not, well, we're choosing Israel over Jesus. No, there's, there's, this, you know, Jesus, I mean, in Romans nine, Paul says that, that, you know, one of the blessings of Israel is from whom comes the Messiah. So you have that. And so it, you know, Israel's all according to Romans three, we're going to get the scriptures, you know, from Israel and, but the scripture also teaches that there's going to be a, a coming, Jesus is going to rule the nations someday. And that's going to include Israel and Jerusalem as, as a geographical headquarters for that. So Israel was supposed to fulfill their role in the Old Testament as a, as a, as a nation that's a light to the world. They're, they're, going, to, they're going to be a nation with, with a role to play, not, not better salvation or more spiritual blessings, but that's the geographical center of Messiah's coming earthly kingdom. So I guess to come down to it is, is, you know, what, what does the new creation model say? We got to take earth seriously. We have to take earth's creatures seriously. We have to take land seriously. We have to take physical blessings seriously. All the dimensions of the covenant. We take geopolitical nations seriously. Isaiah 19 talks about the salvation of Egypt, salvation of Assyria, those kinds of things. And then Israel is also significant. Mm -hmm. And so where the new creation model is emphasizing the significance of, 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 of ethnic national territorial Israel. Now, what I would say when you when you come to covenant theology, um, again, you're going to have a, a mixture of views. Sure. Uh, you can't just say covenant theology equals replacement theology because yeah. there are some covenant theologians who who held to a future salvation and restoration of Israel. Yeah. I think when you look at covenant theology of the last hundred years, it's heavily supersessionist. <laughs> I just think that's undeniable. I mean, in, in one of the books, I know it came out about ten years ago, but a representative of covenant theology says he talks about Jesus's replacement theology. He actually uses that terminology. Hmm. I know some want to argue with terms and believe in fulfill, not replace. I think we're getting into word games yeah. at that point. What matters is the concept. But I'll say this, that when I look at <clears throat> covenant theologians of the 1600s, 1700s, and even the 1800s, there's a lot of good things said about Israel. <laughs> and so um, I, when I read earlier, earlier covenant theologians, I find myself uh, in much more agreement when it comes to the issue of Israel. Now, it doesn't mean all of them held to a future right. salvation restoration of Israel, but you, you, you did find a lot of that with, with some of the earlier ones. So uh, anyway, so I, I would say, even though I think covenant theology, like every everyone else is drifting more towards new creation model, I still, from my opinion, there's I think that issue of Israel is still a sticking point and a not helpful spiritual vision model move. Yeah. One of the things uh, on that note that I've gotten asked a few times, and I, I know you've done more research on this than I have, so maybe you can help me and have the answer. Um, do, does anyone believe that the restoration of Israel would take place in the eternal state uh, versus like a millennium? If they reject the millennium, mm -hmm. uh, would somebody be new creation model with regard to the eternal state in Israel, but not for millennium? I have talked to 
all in like in personal conversations yeah. with all millennials to say actually there's a restoration of Israel in the eternal state. Mm. I don't really see that a lot when I'm reading like academic books right. from credible publishers and all that yeah. sort of thing. So I, I just haven't really seen that, but but I, I know technically it's possible to hold to a, a restoration of Israel in the eternal state and you just view the a spiritual kingdom now sort of thing. Right. So I at least have known people personally who've held that. That's kind of what I was thinking is I haven't ever seen it in print, but I've talked to people who said, well, I kind of believe that. And so I was yeah. curious if you, yeah. so that's helpful Same. to, yeah. now obviously, uh, you know, we've just briefly touched on this. There's a lot more that we could talk about in the book. I'm just curious, um, you know, having written the book, uh, why did you write it and what, what do you hope to be the ultimate outcome of, of people reading it? I hope the ultimate outcome is that we detect and grasp everything God is accomplishing through Christ. And so Christ is at the center of the story. He, he, he's the, he's the, uh, the ultimate Adam, the, he's the last Adam. I think kingdom is theme of scripture, but he's at the center of that. He's, he's the, he's the king that makes everything happen. He's the ultimate seed of Abraham, the ultimate Davidic king. He's the one that, he's the one that brings a new covenant. And so I, I, I do think that in general, with of course exceptions, that the church for quite a while has focused mostly on individual and spiritual issues and has not taken the broader creational kingdom plans into account. That's where I actually think dispensationalism made a contribution. It's like, hey, we're going to talk about some other things too. Again, remember, it's a both and, not neither or <laughs> sort of thing. So I, I guess what this is a call to is to appreciate all the individual spiritual significance of salvation and redemption from sin and Christ's first coming, but also understand, hey, there's lots that still come with the second coming, day of the Lord, earthly kingdom, nations, Israel, those kinds of things. And, and to be open to all that. So it's, uh, you know, I like to use the analogy. Um, you can decide whether you think it's good or not. But uh, I used to drive a five-speed car. I, and I, when I was a kid, I'd have five-speed bikes. So I kind of think the church kind of uses two years. <laughs> so when I think of the Christian worldview, I know some people say three or four parts of the story. I think there's five. I think you have creation and then fall. And then I think from fall to Christ, there's a third area called, I call it promise. That's where you have the, the unfolding of the covenants and the promise plan and the messianic hope. So we take seriously from Genesis 3 to Christ. But I would say Christ, his suffering servant role, redemption, all those great things with atonement, that's a fourth part of the story. But there's a fifth part of the story, which is the restoration of all things, which Peter talks about in Acts 3.21. You know, when you look at 3.20 and 21 together, the second coming of Christ brings the restoration of all things. And so I guess what we're asking here is let our Christian worldview absorb all of them. We don't, we don't have to just pick one or two. <laughs> So I think where new creation model is particularly strong is let's look real strong at the first part of the story, Genesis 1 to 2 creation. Let's also look very significantly at the fifth part of the story, which is often ignored. And of course, we're going to get the significance because Christ's first and second comings are strategic to the fulfillment of, of all things. So I guess that's what it would just be is um, not calling for a new system or everybody must drop whatever theological affiliation and just call themselves this. But just to uh, open, uh, be open to what God is accomplishing in Christ. And again, I think the more that we understand the big picture, the more we're going to understand our role within the big picture. Wow. Well, I hope that this book accomplishes all that and more. So I <laughs> uh, really appreciate you joining us uh, this time and hope we'll have you on again soon. Thanks, Pete. I really enjoyed it. So if you want more about this book, you can find The New Creation Model, A Paradigm for Discovering God's Restoration Purposes from Creation to New Creation by Michael J. Vlock. 
can locate it on Amazon. Beautifully designed, really well researched. I'm excited for uh, just what this is going to mean to the church and the academic community. You can find that online. You can also find out more about me and the Bible Sojourner blog and podcast at petergaiman.com. And you can also find out more about Shepherd's Theological Seminary at shepherds.edu. Who knows? Maybe you could take a class with uh, Mike and I. So I look forward to uh, seeing your interactions with this book online. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you.